Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, so it may not be for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is Season 9, Episode 1, and we are so excited for you to join us. Gracie and I have been friends since forever, and we love talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee. Today we'll be discussing the 2019 teen vampire flick, Bit. It was written and directed by Brad Michael Elmore and stars Nicole Maines, Diana Hopper, James Paxton, M.C. Ganey, and Jimmy Jagger. We are not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this episode and watch it. Are you still here? Okay, then let's get this morning started. Abby, would you please start us off with a brief plot summary? Sure. Laurel, a transgendered teen, drives from Oregon to L.A. to visit her brother for the summer after her high school graduation. Feeling lost and unsure of herself, she meets and is then turned by a coterie. How do you say that word? Coterie. Coterie. Okay. She meets and is then turned by a coterie of diverse vampire women. They have a few rules in order to be a member of their group, but the most important one is no boys allowed. Duke, the leader, gives Laurel the option to be cured right away or to test out her new vampiric powers for a while. Laurel decides to enjoy her new girl gang and begins staying out late with them, disappearing for nights at a time, worrying her family. Eventually, Laurel learns of the vampire hunters chasing the coterie and the dark secret Duke has hidden underground. Will Laurel stay a member of the dangerous vampiric girl gang? Or will she decide to drink the antidote and go back to her normal life? Both choices seem just as scary. Ooh, thank you so much. And as you probably all could tell, we've changed the plot summaries a little, so you gotta watch the movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. You got to. We're not giving it away. You gotta do some work. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) But they're all worth watching. I was going to say, I I was like, that's actually fun work. A movie night. Ugh. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about it. Jeez, it's the best job ever, actually. All right. So let's get into the production. So writer-director Brad Michael Elmore had already made two films before Bit and figured his third venture into filmmaking needed to be a bit different and more inclusive. He also wanted to make something that was a mix between Gem and the Holograms and the Lost Boys a rated-R vampire movie that was coded towards 13-year-old girls. According to Vulture, quote, ahead of writing Bit, Elmore says he was just tired of seeing the same kinds of heroes over and over again on the screen. So he decided to approach his new project with one goal. The story's heroine was going to be trans, and she was going to be played by a trans actress. Elmore gave himself a crash course in gender studies, read up on books from trans authors, and conferred with friends in the trans community before finishing the script for Bit. He didn't intend to direct the film, but when producers agreed to finance his vision, he decided he wanted to see it through, unquote. 
Uh, Elmore also knew that if he was going to make a film with an almost female cast, with an almost all female cast, especially a film that had intimate scenes between the female members, he needed to avoid his male gaze at all cost. According to Elmore for Vulture, quote, I can't not talk enough about my director of photography, Christina Dunlap. Listen, I've got the male gaze. I can intellectually see where that is and try to avoid it, but it's going to be a lot easier for me if I can bring aboard somebody who can mitigate or eliminate that. Christina was integral to the whole of it. I'm not going to lie, a woman as a director of photography was one of my stated rules. I wanted some buffers to help me, and she was probably the most important one, unquote. And when he says stated rules, it was like, part of uh, the reason why he was going to make this film was like he wanted it to be more inclusive, right? And he was telling the producers like, I need to have a female director of photography and I need to have a trans actress play the trans lead. So that was like, yeah, so that was like part of his negotiation to have the film made. So uh, the actress that they chose was 23-year-old Nicole Maines, who had appeared in a few TV shows as a guest, but this was her first film. She's probably most well-known, though, for her activism. According to her Wikipedia page, quote, she was the anonymous plaintiff, Susan Doe, in the main Supreme Judicial Court case Doe versus Regional School Unit 26 regarding gender identity and bathroom use in schools. Maines, who is transgender, was barred from using the female bathroom after a complaint. However, the court ruled denying a transgender student access to the bathroom consistent with their gender identity is unlawful. In 2015, Maines and her family were the subject of Becoming Nicole, the Transformation of an American Family, a book by Washington Post writer Amy Ellis Nutt. It chronicles the family and their coming to terms with Maines being transgender, unquote. And Elmore said that part of his research was reading this book about Maines' life. So I thought, I thought that was kind of interesting that she ended up being the one casted. Mm-hmm. So Bit first premiered at the Inside Out LGBTQ Film Festival in Canada on May 24th, 2019 to rave reviews. The film never got a proper theatrical release due to the pandemic and was released to the public to stream online in April of 2020. According to BJ Colangelo for Bloody Disgusting, quote, Elmore has created something truly special with Bit. The film tackles subjects often reserved for angry Twitter threads and finds a way to handle it all with nuance while still managing to make it fun. He effortlessly weaves subtextual messaging with matter-of-fact, no-shit opinions on on social justice and splatters it with blood and sexuality. For the voices who have felt marginalized by horror films for, well, ever, Bit is the badass power fantasy we've always dreamed of, unquote. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about the Bechdel test. Yes, it passes a few times because there's so many women in this film. Heck yes. Yes. Uh, Okay. So Nancy's dream team test. Was the supporting cast at least 50% women? Yes. Heck yes. (laughs) Did a woman write, direct, shoot, produce, or edit the film? And you'll notice everyone that we added shoot for like, uh, directors of photography because that's important uh yes christina dunlap was the cinematographer was the final girl or main character a person of color 
No, but there are a few supporting characters that are POC, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Were there any openly LGBT plus characters in the film? Yes. Not only is the main character transgender and also played by a transgender actress, but there are a few lesbian and possibly bisexual characters in the film as well. Nice. All right. Well, let's get into our discussion, Abby. Yeah. So sitting here watching this film, I couldn't help but really dislike Duke (laughs) from the moment she appeared on screen. Um, she's brilliantly played by Diana Hopper. Like, she's intimidating and she definitely has a presence on screen, but there's something really off-putting about her. And I think that was, it was meant to make the audience feel a certain type of way. But on the other hand, you can't help but admire her even just a little bit because of the struggles that she went through when she tells her story. So you might feel for her while wanting to keep your distance. And... I could totally relate to this feeling when I really started delving into, like, feminism and doing research online about what it was and how I could communicate with people about the meaning and how to implement those ideas into my daily life. And I came across a lot of hostility during that time. There were a lot of women that completely denounced men because of their own feelings and experiences, which kind of confused me at first because I thought that the goal here was equality. And Right. And like you and I will sometimes make jokes, quote unquote, like, yeah, no more men, you know, yeah. <laughs> which, listen, it, it gets to be much sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it does. But we're both women who are married to men and we are both you know, women who have, you have a stepson and I have my son. Right. You know, so it's like we have men in our life, like most people do have men in their lives. Mm -hmm. And um, I think to totally denounce men is, is, is completely not the point of feminism. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's It's kind of opposite. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but go ahead. Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, I mean, I feel as though a lot of people share that experience, though, too, like going to look for answers and being met with a lot of gatekeeping or rules, kind of like Laurel when she first meets like her new group of vampires. Yeah. And honestly, I can't rightfully sit here and compare my introduction to feminism to that of a transgender person because the experiences are completely different. However, what I like about this film is how brilliantly... It portrays these ideas of an introduction to such like archaic feminism and Mm -hmm. storytelling almost. And it does it from a new perspective, that of Laurel's. And the idea that there are these rules that you have to follow to be a feminist and that if you cross the line, then you're punished or cut out completely. Like it broaches the topics of inclusion in a way that breaks them down into something kind of easier to understand something that mythology has been doing for centuries. But Duke represents this old ideology, one that was never really a feminist one to begin with, because, you know, she's controlling and fearful, while Laurel represents this new, entirely feminist persona of accepting yourself and others exactly as they are without taking shit from anyone who wants to cause harm. Can I just add something that I just I just thought of just yeah. now? It's, that's so funny because um, 
Duke comes from the time when second wave feminism was happening, the 60s. Yeah. Which that was all about women burning their bras. They're not going to become mothers. Like, they're not going to get married. If they are going to be with somebody, they're going to, like, be with their female partners, which is great because... That was exactly what was the opposite of what was happening to women at the time. They were being almost brainwashed into thinking they had to stay home and they had to have children and they couldn't work. And if they did work, it was at an office for a man, you know? Yeah. So, or it was a feminine job, which is like being a teacher or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was like a different time. So, I, yeah, that's so true that Duke not only... Uh, figuratively stands for this older idea of feminism, like a dated idea of feminism. But she legitimately, like literally is from that time, right before she got turned. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a genius way to portray it, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, But I mean, instead of preemptively judging men for what they might do, Laurel kind of ushers in this new mentality to the group that you don't have to follow old rules because they're not always right. Mm -hmm. And again, I can't speak from a trans perspective, but I think putting someone in the forefront who is trans allows viewers to share that experience and cheer her on when she breaks through those barriers. So yeah, I really liked it. Absolutely. And I think it's safe to say that Nicole Maines who was an activist for trans rights would agree with you. Yeah. Like this is like, like obviously you don't want to speak from that perspective, but she obviously it liked the script. Yeah. <laughs> and she's an activist. So I think that's safe to say, like she really agrees with what the script is saying as well. Yeah, definitely. And besides like the actual themes in the film, I think if my, my personal opinion of this film is that the making of it, itself is kind of a breakthrough Mm -hmm. as far as storytelling goes um being written and directed by a man but clearly cheering on the role of women in the queer and trans community this film stands out during a time when like that gatekeeping runs rampant through the industry and i think that telling trans stories you know it's very important and significant but for many people only if it comes from a trans perspective. Right. And in an article for Medium, author Joe Garza states, quote, It's a poisonous idea that's spreading throughout our culture at the moment, this concept that creators can only tell certain stories. According to this crooked social contract, if you're an artist of one group, racial, sexual, religious, whatever, then telling the story of another group, even a very sympathetic story, is off-limits. So it's a bizarre statement for Elmore to make. On the one hand, he acknowledges the power of that rule, yet his making of the film is a clear disregard for it. But then again, let's not pretend that today's iteration of identity politics operates with any semblance of consistency. In What is Art, Leo Tolstoy posits that great works of art are great only because they are accessible to everyone. It can be argued that there are exceptions to this statement, especially considering his work was published in 1898, but there's a fair amount of truth in it. So what does it say about modern mainstream cinema when the need for a master's degree in gender studies increases simply to enjoy a film about college-aged SoCal vampire? 
vampires with the buoyant personalities of cement parking barriers. <laughs> so <laughs> when I read that quote, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I can kind of see like where he's coming from. And I like kind of like what he has to say. But Gracie actually pointed something out to me <laughs> when I was doing the no, no, script no. for the... Yeah, like, because I read that same article. And I think Mr. Garza was arguing against the film because, like, Mm -hmm. he was saying that Elmore didn't do more to tell a trans story and faulted him for that and blamed our current society for not giving a straight white man the ability to write something out of his comfort zone. Yeah. And that's where I disagree because I do feel like trans people should be given a voice and they should be able to tell their own stories. And I'm not faulting Elmore for this at all by stating that fact like but he sh- he could have easily like handed his script over to a trans writer or to Mains herself as a co-writer but he didn't mm-hmm. and that's okay like he had his friends who are trans look over the script and give him suggestions and that's it and like this is why i think it's okay because like i think if laurel's trans identity was at the forefront of the story Like, if Duke had not said, oh, shit, like, you're not a man, like, you're a man, you're not a woman. Like, if she Mm -hmm. did not accept her female identity because she is female, if she did not accept it, then, yeah, I'd be like, this is not okay. Like, this this (laughs) guy is telling a trans story that is not his, that is not okay. But that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And Laurel's trans identity is not at the forefront of the story. So I can see that him being the writer and director being an issue to maybe some people. But I think the majority of people who have seen this movie don't feel that way. Right. Like the trans character's background and trauma and story is not the forefront. And that's why I think it's like Elmore did a great job. He just told a character story and that character just happened to also be trans right and like i also don't agree that the film is like in your face about politics because i think garza in the in the article also talks about how like the politics are just in your face and i think that like a lot of horror like i i felt that the politics that were in this film were woven beautifully into the story i think like, they we, were very subtle I thought so, too. Like, very tasteful. I don't think that this film does that at all. Like, at all. And I think Garza felt like it wasn't accessible to him. And that made him upset. Not realizing that that's the whole point. Like, you had just mentioned earlier. Like, Laurel, at the end of the film, is trying to show that life as a vampire is accessible to everyone. And, Mm -hmm. like... In the film, Duke says that she imagines every woman a vampire, while Laurel says she imagines everyone as a vampire. Right. Because let's be honest, not everyone identifies as a binary male or female either. Mm-hmm. So, like, Duke is leaving out a whole other queer identity. Yeah. By just saying, like, only women, you know? And Elmore, I think, is aware that he doesn't quite understand. And he said in his interview with Vulture that he understands some aspects of unfairness because he was not from a well-off family, but that's as far as it goes. 
And he said he also feels like he was cheated out of learning about the world and the others in it, the other people in it, which I totally get. I'm still learning how to be a better person and to be more inclusive. And there's a lot of things that you have to unlearn. And I think Elmore, as a white man, does a pretty good job with how he tells the story, knowing how much he doesn't know and knowing how much he still has to unlearn. Mm-hmm. And Elmore also told Vulture, I'm inhabiting a space that doesn't belong to me, and some would say I shouldn't inhabit it at all. And I would not begrudge them that. If there's if they are suspicious or angry or upset, I'm not going to get mad, unquote. Um, but honestly, like I said earlier, I don't think very many people think that about him. Yeah. yeah. Like everyone that I've seen on Twitter who is trans or non-binary they've all said that they really like this film and Mm -hmm. logan ashley who is a trans writer for medium uh they wrote an article about the timeline of trans characters in horror and they said quote bit is exactly what i want from a transgender horror film a cast of queer characters trans characters played by trans people and respected by the screenwriter and examining the impacts of gender on the individual unquote and as history has shown us trans characters are treated very poorly in horror films, in other films too, but definitely in horror films because they yeah. are either the supervillain or they are the butt of a joke or they're both. And what's so amazing is that Laurel isn't any of these. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's why the LGBTQ community, as far as I can see, really like this film, even though it's made by a cisgendered white man. And Please, if anyone is listening who does not like this film, <laughs> let us know. I But I personally have not seen a lot of people get upset about this. So I think Garza just, just needs to take a chill pill. Yeah, same. And I mean, that whole explanation makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I'm wondering, too, if uh, Elmore did this kind of on purpose as a way to, like, normalize things. But it's such a delicate balance of wanting to tell the story without interjecting your own thoughts, opinions, ideals, etc. And like knowing what you're telling me now, I think that he did a pretty okay job. Really, honestly. I mean, yeah. Like, I never felt like, oh, this is going in places that maybe this guy should not go. I never said to myself when I was watching this movie, I can totally tell that this was written by a straight white man. Yes, (laughs) I I agree. I personally agree. Again, I would really love anyone who is listening to let us know what you thought of the film. If you loved it, hate it, thought it was like not representative at all. But (laughs) from what I can tell, a lot of people really like this movie. So uh, with that said, I think it's a really good way to introduce our next topic and something that makes this film really innovated both in genre and social commentary. Laurel says, I don't want to kill. Let's talk about defying constructs. Yeah, to me, Laurel is like a new and improved Louie from Interview with a Vampire. That's a great, (laughs) yeah, that's a great observation. Her life has been challenging and tumultuous, to say the least, and it just gets harder when she becomes a vampire. 
And something that really stuck out to me was when she said to her brother, like, we'll figure this out when they were talking to each other about their new lifestyle, what their new lifestyle meant and how they didn't want to resort to killing. And in Anne Rice's novel, Louis struggles with this notion regularly, not wanting to feed because he doesn't want to harm anyone, despite constant probing from Lestat to feed and to give in to his urges. Mm -hmm. And Lestat, obviously, in this story would be like um, the the Duke character. But Louis resists and he drinks the blood of rats, trying to hold on a little bit. She's trying to hold on to a little bit of his humanity and figuring out how to navigate his new life. For Laurel to stop and say, like, we can figure this out after everything that she has been through is a testament to what it means to defy your role or, like, false stereotype. Not every vampire is a bloodthirsty monster and everyone has their moments, but those are just moments. So to say that something is just in someone's nature without considering the fact that you have other options if you're unsatisfied is, in my opinion, really weak. And I think we should be looking at this from really an evolutionary perspective. And I also think that it might be the key to everyone kind of coming to terms with the fact that trans people have existed for forever and they are not going anywhere (laughs) which can be tricky because not everyone is accepting of science and evolution which is baloney but you know what can you do about it but you as an autonomous person have the right to decide what works for you and what doesn't and as humans you could say that it's in our nature to hunt and kill and eat meat But that doesn't change the fact that there are people out there who don't want to do that because they don't have to. Yeah. Like me. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I don't eat meat. I have never tried meat ever in my life. Yeah. Because you have the choice and you have the option not to. Right. Laurel embraces her right to choose who she wants to be without saying, this is who I am now. This is what it entails. And this is what I have to do to make it as a vampire. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that easily carries over into the LGBTQ community because there really is no right or way or wrong way to be yourself. And to say that there is, is basically just a a continuation of the toxicity that we're trying to collectively avoid. I don't want to stray too much from the understanding that this film is about a trans woman's experience. But even she says in the film that she wants inclusion for everyone when she says, I dream of a world where everyone is a vampire. Like we were talking about earlier, instead of Duke's exclusionary vision of a world full of female vampires. And if gender is just a construct, then shouldn't we be working harder to dismantle what we've been taught about male and female power? Exactly. It's simple, but it's not. I agree with everything that you've said there, for sure. Yeah. I I think that the the nail on the head is that Duke represents an old way of thinking about feminism, and Mm. Laurel is the new modern way, with vampirism as, like, you know, the, the cherry on top to tell that story. Yeah, definitely. And I think by including Laurel's brother like towards the end of the movie too was just like the perfect 
like cherry on top of like this we need to be inclusive of everyone and everybody needs a voice well that's so interesting because i did not see that coming me neither I was like, the, okay, so to add, I'm going to give this movie one critique, and that is that I wish they had sort of showed how hungry, like, how more hungry, like, uh, Laurel was. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like she was like, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything. And then she meets that girl, right, who's drunk, and he, she's like, oh, maybe I'll bite her, and then she doesn't. Mm-hmm. I wish there was more scenes that were more, that showed, like, that sort of um, interview with a vampire, like, how torture like how hung how desperately hungry she was right and i don't feel like they didn't show that however um when she attacks her brother because she's just so hungry and mad at him and stuff yeah i was like oh oh no he's gonna be a vampire and he's not gonna be included in the group (laughs) (laughs) i was like he's not invited to the club you're on your own i felt bad for him and i because like, I think that that was a really interesting thing to kind of talk about what he went through mm-hmm. and what he had to deal with. Because when, and this is me talking from an outsider's perspective, but whenever there's a change and whenever there, whenever you have a support system for anything, mm-hmm. um, the people who are supporting you are also you know have like this this heaviness on their chest on their heart you know Mm -hmm. and I could see like he was always there for her when she was coming out transitioning and all that and Mm -hmm. it and it wore him down because it's hard it's hard for everybody for any whatever situation you're in that involves any sort of change your support system is going to be strong but they're going to be tired from from be for being there for you. I mean, right. we've all been there. Right. So I think it's really interesting that it's like this was her opportunity to sort of help support her brother to be like, no, like I am not going to allow you to be mean to him. I'm not going to allow you to kill him. Mm-hmm. Like he deserves to live and have this great life of eternal youth, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, for as long as I do. And I think that that was a really great way to, you know, include her straight white brother into this. Like, just because he's a straight white guy doesn't mean, like, he has not been there for me and has not supported me. And is not tired, you know? Like, he deserves, like, this (laughs) because of what he's done for me. And I think that that's really, that's also a really neat perspective that, I don't think is really shown much either is like the support system and how the support system feels and stuff. And so I think that that was really great that they had that moment together where they were like happy and they were scared, but they were like in it together. Mm -hmm. Just like how, like when Laurel was going through her coming out, like, and now the, now her brother is a vampire and she's there for him. So it's this exchange of support and I thought that that was really neat that they showed that. Yeah, definitely. I think it was also really important that they didn't um, make that male character a romantic relationship, too. Yes. Because that is... so true. That is something that drives me absolutely nuts is, like, I feel like there are no platonic relationships that are really shown when it comes to that kind of stuff. Or that 
you know, Duke was like, yeah, there's no exceptions. And it's like, okay, but what about all the males in my life that I'm not romantically interested in or that I'm just friends with or that I'm family with that mean a lot to me? It was like her best friend, too. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that she had a male best friend who, like, there was nothing weird about it. There was, like, no weird, like, him flirting with her, blah, 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 like... And maybe I missed something in the uh, in the film, but I was reading one article where they said that he was gay, and I don't remember that actually being said in the film. Oh, but yeah. Even if he was, like the fact that they are a platonic friend, they have they're a platonic platonic friendship, just in general, just was really imp- was really great. Just, you know, a male and female relationship, no matter what anyone's sexual identity was, it was like they were they were two people who were different and they were friends. Yeah. And that I'm glad that they showed that conflict as well, because he had also been there for Laurel. You know, he's another male character who was also there for Laurel and uh, felt like Laurel wasn't there for that like them, you know, and so it showed that she was. She was also not perfect, which I love too. I freaking hate seeing female characters who are just these perfect angels, you know? And I mean, she's trans, so I can see like obviously trans representation, but I think it's important be- to show that people in the LGBTQ community are also human, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. they have like human issues because they are. So it's like, I don't know. I thought that her conflict with her brother and her friend were great yeah me too oh mm. ah, so good it's such a good movie okay so final thought representation matters telling trans and gay stories through the lens of horror uh i think it goes without saying that our podcast really loves this topic <laughs> well because horror is all about that <laughs> yeah exactly but this film is fresh for a number of reasons that, you know, obviously we've discussed throughout the episode. But I think it's important for us to treasure films like this because it offers a new point of view while ushering in new topics and characters that haven't shared the spotlight with white, cis, conventionally attractive female characters or worse yet, have been completely overshadowed by what we are used to seeing on screen. Yeah, this film is quite a gem. Uh, mm. According to Emily Picot, I think is how you say their last name for medium, uh, horror displays our worst fears, even if unrealistic as reality. It can make a marginalized group's daily trauma become the first person narrative. It can imagine vengeance and reverse the script. It doesn't always do the above, but unlike most genres, it has the capacity to materialize or expand our emotional, nonlinear, and untamed realities. Dahlia Grossman Heinz's Bitches Halloween Horror Fix. Fix, flicks tape from Bitch Magazine includes many films like Andrew Fleming's The Craft and David Lynch's Mulholland Drive that appear to only be considered feminist because the main characters are women. But they are also cis, straight, conventionally attractive, thin, able-bodied, and usually white and middle class. This is a very short-sighted view of feminism. An intersectional film should center racial justice, queerness, 
and critique capitalism, among many other things, unquote. Mm-hmm. Another really great article that addresses this is Haley Paskevich's. I think that's how you say their name. Oh, I'm the worst person ever. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So their write-up for BIT on Flipscreened uh, says, quote, Perhaps what's most remarkable about BIT is how inherently queer it is. With a transgender protagonist and several other female characters who are shown to be explicitly interested in women, BIT treats sexuality as another aspect of identity rather than the sole focus of its plot, which we mentioned earlier. The film primarily interrogates queer identity through the constructs of vampire and women as other, exploring what it means to exist in the world as both. Despite the fact that the writer and director of Bit is a man, the film itself manages to command the female gaze with deliberate intent. There's no unnecessary shots that linger on a woman's body for a moment too long or over-sexualized depictions of queer female sexuality meant for male consumption. Instead, the moments of intimacy between women are shown in a way that feels authentic and normalized. The film also critiques patriarchal norms, with its female characters unafraid to express their disdain towards the way in which society treats them. They're shown enacting violence against men on several occasions, partially due to their vampiric nature, but also out of their desire as women to strike back against their oppressors. However, the vampire sorority in Bit is one formed out of a perceived necessity, less about belonging to a group than it is about exercising individual agency. The girls choose to band together because they're safety in numbers. They're aware that the very nature of their existence poses a threat to society, not only as women, but as queer women and vampires. Over the course of its hour-and-a-half runtime, Bit grapples with questions of morality, identity, and even mental health, engaging with these themes in a way that feels pointed yet thoughtful. As she fights the compulsion that comes with her new life, Laurel becomes more and more withdrawn from her old one, leading to strained relationship dynamics on both sides, unquote. Yeah, typically in my experience, at least, there aren't many horror movies that exist showing the everyday struggles of gay and trans people without their otherworldly persona. And here, the monsters, or quote-unquote monsters, in the film face real friendship and familial struggles, as well as the trials and tribulations of mental health and daily living. We can hearken back to horror portrayals of trans and gay people and how the films they're featured in make them monstrous and inhuman. And like a couple that come to mind are like Psycho and Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, and Terror Train and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But Bit reminds us that they are really just people and their struggles have become the monster. And the pain and rejection they felt as outsiders in a patriarchal society are the true monstrosity, not the people themselves. Why is this such a downer when it comes to film and horror portrayals of LGBTQ people, especially trans people? Well, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) There's an article by Jenny Holes for Fortinist magazine. And they say, quote, trans people challenge the comfortable boundaries of society by way of crossing gendered lines and sometimes sitting between or outside of them, depending on hormones, surgery, and gender expression. 
In a society that strictly constructs two genders, people who disrupt that binary are viewed as abject beings. Horror capitalizes on this fear and its depiction of transgender characters, specifically the murderous trans trans woman trope. Blah. Horror moves Horror movies provide a vehicle for viewers to project their own struggles with fear, loss, and death, and to be able to engage with those feelings in a contained manner that is socially acceptable. By making trans women objects of fear, films like these reinforce harmful ideas about trans identity. And Jenny goes on to say, this representation of trans women in horror has real implications. It leads to people thinking of trans women as less than human because in their minds, they have become monstrous things made of only the abject. Misguided views like these lead to violence in the real world as evidenced by the alarming murder rate of trans folk, especially trans women of color, unquote. And isn't that so true? It's so sad. Yeah, it's very upsetting. And films like this one, at least give us a broader perspective and encourage us to seek a different, better angle when it comes to representation. Mm -hmm. It really is reprehensible looking back through film history and seeing how toxic these portrayals are and how much of an impact they've had on our social commentary. It's unfair, to say the least, and speaking as a future psychologist, this imagery and connotation can have lasting effects that become hard to uproot and reshape for future generations. But that's not stopping filmmakers from making the jump and doing it anyway, and I think it's safe to say Bit has become one of those films. Yeah, this is definitely one of my new favorite horror films. I love this film a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and, you know, this was the first time you and I had seen it, right? You hadn't seen Mm -hmm. it before this, right? Yeah, I hadn't either, but I had heard so much about it, and I knew it was streaming on Tubi, at least at the time that we recorded this. It might not be by the time you listen. Anyway, check it out. It's amazing. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, I was blown away. So if you have the internet, (laughs) Tubi is free. Watch the film. It's great. It is so good. Oh. Okay, well, let's have some sugar cubes in our coffee. Yeah. Oh, what are some good things that have happened? Well, it's 2021. (laughs) Oh, my fuck. (laughs) I guess mine would be that my son, who is not even a year old yet, is walking. Wow. I know. Oh, my God. It's been an adventure. (laughs) I kind of, I can't believe it. My, it like blows my mind all the time. How fast yeah. he's growing. Yeah. Well, and I and I don't know. This might have been my sugar cube in the last episode. I can't remember. But it's been it's been really fun seeing his brain grow, <laughs> like mm-hmm. the wheels turning and figuring things out. Like he's very observant. He loves to see how things work. He loves to turn his toys over and like look at the bottom side of it. Oh, my and, God. Like, look at where the batteries are like he and he like will pound the little slot where the batteries go like he wants to open it up and i'm like how do you know how do you know i don't know i've never showed him that so and then now he's walking and i'm just like oh my god so my sugar cube i guess would be like seeing my son like growing and learning and that's been like a huge thing for me to experience so yeah oh my god that's and i'm redoing my basement 
Yes. We had someone come over to estimate how much it would cost, and we were like, whatever it takes. Just redo this basement. <laughs> whatever so, it takes. Whatever it takes. So I'm very excited about having a whole new living space as well. Yeah, I love a good basement. <laughs> yeah. You know I love a good basement. <laughs> <laughs> so, Abby, what's your sugar cube or cubes Um, Mine would have to be... Uh, that I got my genetic testing done for my little baby mm-hmm. and everything came back negative and Good. everything is perfect. My doctor awesome. says he is a perfect, healthy baby. Oh, oh. yeah. And by the way. Oh, yep. So they have a penis. Yep. 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 <laughs> so. <laughs> Hooray! You have a penis. Yeah. So um yeah, my husband and I picked out a name and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's very uh, exciting. It's been a crazy pregnancy journey thus far, but oh my god, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's you know, what can you do? What can you do? You got a little parasite inside of you sucking yeah. the life right out of you. Little yeah. xenomorph. <laughs> You know, but uh, I guess, you know, obviously you're experiencing some ups and downs with how you're feeling with your pregnancy, but you are essentially very healthy and your little babe is also healthy. So, yes, that's good, at least. Yeah, Yeah, it is very good. (laughs) Good. Yeah. Well, everyone, that's it for this week's episode of Good Morning, Nancy. If you like what we do, please consider becoming a patron. Abby and I work really hard on this show without any help from anyone. We (laughs) don't have researchers working for us or editors. We do all of the research and we do all of the editing. So let us know how much you appreciate our work and head on over to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy. And if Patreon isn't your deal, you can also show us your financial support by checking out our merch shop. We've got coffee mugs, sweatshirts, t-shirts, and more. Head on over to goodmorningnancy.com slash merch and just click the shirt icon and that'll take you right to our shop. Yeah, and we know times are tough right now, so a free way to help the show is by following us on social media. Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, Twitter at Good Morning Nan, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. Don't forget to also tell a friend and spread the word about our show. Don't forget, black lives still matter and trans lives still matter. Check out our show notes on how you can help out. We love you all to death. Have a good morning. Bye. <laughs>